0: Do you like to learn about random, wild stuff? You know, the things you didn't think you needed to know about, then realize you should? Then welcome to Nothing Off Limits, the podcast that gives you one place to go for something different. Impress your next party guest with your unusual body of knowledge. And if you dig the show, get more information at ladyfoxentertainment.com and subscribe, rate, or review. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Nothing Off Limits. I'm excited because today our guest is going to speak about principles he abides by, both as a lawyer and in his personal life. For him, law and life are interconnected, and the way he handles his business is the same way he handles his life. His name is Ben Lasky. Ben is an attorney, businessman, and entrepreneur. His law practice focuses on entertainment, intellectual property, health and fitness, hospitality, media, music, television, technology, motion pictures, and startup matters. He does a lot. And on the business and consulting side, Ben focuses on developing business opportunities, consulting, and obtaining deals with companies like Sony, Universal, CAA, Fox, Live Nation, ABC, CBS, ad agencies, talent agencies, and a lot of others. He's got a huge network. And as an entrepreneur, he also invests in various companies at their angel, seed, or A-round phases. He's a tenured professor at Boston University's LA campus. That's right, it doesn't stop there. He's obtained a BA summa cum laude. And poli sci from ucla he received his jd with honors in intellectual property concentration from boston university school of law and his ms with honors of course in mass communications from boston university i am honored to know this talented smart man his website is laskylaw.com. welcome ben
1: thank you thank you i uh thank you for having me and after this introduction i feel like we just should probably end it right here i can only uh <laughs> go downwards from here
0: (laughs) wow I'm so blown away by your background when you sent me your bio I was like I didn't know about all of this stuff this additional stuff because you seem like such an accessible real guy you don't come off as this like you know what your bio says is that you you could potentially be a super arrogant guy
1: well um that is that by the way first of all that was the short bio i sent you the short version so uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know the thing is that i there's no need to be arrogant i think if somebody uh enjoys what they're doing and is passionate about them about what they're doing then that really is Uh, all that there is to it. And uh, there's a lot of other little wrinkles to it that we can talk about today. But certainly, there's no need to think that you know everything or suddenly have that kind of uh, superiority that that I find to be kind of a turnoff when I deal with people like that and have that kind of feeling. So I certainly try not to have that in any way and form of how I carry myself.
0: That's awesome. And I love that about you. When did you know, when you wanted to be a lawyer, was this something that you dreamed about as a kid? Tell us about your journey. Well, it's kind
1: of a crazy thing of uh, how things develop and evolve. But I remember as a kid, I started by making mixtapes. I was a DJ already at the age of six. I was kind of getting into music, and it was still tape recorders and taping the radio. There was not even other things oh, that yeah. I Oh, yeah. Making-
0: and with a boombox
1: with the boombox absolutely <laughs> press the record and play button together heck and push yeah those, those two big buttons down and uh, so i still have those tapes of those like from new york djs and stuff that, yeah uh, and i enjoy that so music was my kind of passion and it started my matchmaking thing so i was finding music that i liked making mixtapes and then finding my friends were like wow these are really good tapes you should Uh, duplicate them or you should also start DJing at parties and then that started to happen in my teenage years I started to uh, DJ at parties eventually then later on at clubs and then I would fly to London um, every month and come back with I would go with for two days and fly with just basically a backpack and come back with Um, my backpack still and then two boxes filled with vinyl uh, because that's That's awesome yeah so that was kind of the beginning of it the the kind of the matchmaking through music and that matchmaking then became something more of a business thing that I do now which is matchmaking between people who innovate and create new technologies and finding them uh, big companies to either invest or work with them so that matchmaking came in early on and then the legal stuff uh, I I was initially when I was a DJ I knew that I love music and entertainment. I also knew that I cannot sing. It started by the fact that you know my parents complained when I was singing in the shower when I was a teenager, and it continued on when my wife still till today or my kids if they hear me sing something in the, in the shower they really knock on the shower and, and tell me to stop immediately because they're worried that the neighbors might really uh, complain so I realized early on that the talent from the creative side as far as pure voice or playing instruments was not for me so the second best was to go ahead and represent those who do have those skills and I knew that my skill was kind of my brain so I just let me help them Find deals. Uh, let me make sure the deals are right. So that kind of brought me into law. So when I went to undergrad, I already knew I was going to go to law school, and I really, already knew I was going to want to be in the entertainment side of things. Wow! And luckily for me, kind of one thing led to another. When I was in law school, uh, this thing in '94—the thing, the big thing—was this thing com- that was called the internet. Uh, so, oh yes. So I was really early, an early adapter, and I was doing my master's in communications and my JD in law, and I realized, why don't I mix both of them? Because my, my assignment in the in the master's degree was to create a website, and at the time, my favorite band was Alice in Chains, so I reached oh, out yeah. to Columbia Records, and I said, hey, can I do a website? My project for the band is a website, and they liked it so much, and it was so early on that they that became the official website for the band for, no about three, for, for about a week, you know, and then they realized that that's not such a great website. It just <laughs> had like a bio or a, a little uh, plug, you know, a push here to play one song. And that was it. But I love it. The...
0: It was for a week though. It was for a week. <laughs> I had
1: that, and that was the first website they've ever had. After that, there's a uh, way, you know, way better versions of it, but I was the initial one. And that, that. That. that showed me from practical standpoint, like, okay, here's, there's a lot of legal issues that are not being addressed. The record label just sent me the CDs. They sent me the bio. They sent me the pictures. They never knew that you know what's coming up, what's looming with the Internet and how things are going to mm. develop, Napster and things like that. So it was pre-Napster or around the same time that Napster was coming up. So uh, I early on was realizing there's a lot of law that's going to be addressed with the Internet, and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door by being at the right time at the right place, starting to become an expert on uh, Internet law and how it's going to be handled with the entertainment. And that's how I got hired by a firm. And long story short, this is how I am till today. But it started with, with that kind of right time at the right place, with certain things going on around the world that were a uh, passion of mine and in my expertise coming
0: into play. Mm hmm. Well, it sounds like you're also a persistent guy, you know, and when you believe in something, you're going to go after it. And I think that this is like a really nice segue into you sharing your personal principles and how you connect all of your experiences, being a lawyer, working in this industry of entertainment, which some people find really intimidating, and then how that you apply those same principles to your family. In your, in your wife and your children. So let's dive into that. What's like the number one principle you live by?
1: I think probably the key word that comes to my mind is balance. Uh, balance is very important to me. I think that I see a lot of people who are very successful who are off balance. For example, again, nothing against uh, somebody like Steve Jobs, but he was dedicated 110% to Apple and all that, everything, all things Apple. I'm not sure how much of a, you know, dad was he. How much was he at the house? How much mm. was he helping? And maybe that's not his calling, you know, so that's fine. But for me, I it's very important to me to have, uh, do really good and great stuff at work, but I also know when to kind of shut that door and become a dad and become a husband when I come back home and making sure that I am present. I, I want to be, you know, one of the main things why I have my own business is because for me, it's important to have uh, innovative work and do things that I'm enjoying on the, the work front, but also at the same time know when I need to be here. I enjoy taking my daughter to dance. I enjoy I enjoy, I, I enjoy taking my son to school and hanging out with them and, hang, and have family time. So for me, balance is a very key word uh, that goes all over from work to family to fitness. It's important to me, for example, that I exercise. It has to have a physical element besides just the mental stuff at work. Uh, physically, to go ahead and keep yourself in a good um, physical condition. At the same time, eat well. So all those things come together, and and they that's the main word around them that connects them is is balance.
0: Now, balance is a term that I think a lot of people find overwhelming, because sometimes it's difficult to achieve that. And I think you had mentioned to me that you heard the episode that I recorded with Deb Crow, and she talks about it, not in terms of the word balance, but in terms of life fit. How can we make this fit into our schedule? What were your views on that approach, rather than using the word balance?
1: Uh, I think it's okay. I mean, I think for me... I don't know if the word balance is a problem for me. I think, uh, but I think fit is right. I think there is a problem with fit also, uh, as well, because it just seems like it's one part of balance. I think balance is more comprehensive. It's just so I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, I did enjoy her her. Um, her podcast a lot. I thought it was really good. And I I think she's also the one that recommended the uh, five minute
0: yes. journal, which mm-hmm.
1: I have purchased since then and been using. And so it's awesome. been a great idea. It's a very great tool. I highly recommend it. It's motivational, it kind of grounds you, it makes you grateful for a lot of things that you have that you may not look at on a daily basis by just doing yeah. the grind and doing your routines. But I think uh, going back to balance, I think the, the thing that scares people about balance is that it actually keeps changing, you know. So, mm. for example, when before I was married, uh, I was doing more work. I was working harder, more hours. And, and, and when there was opportunities, for example, if I was working with an artist that I was also um, on the legal side and maybe I was also their manager because there have been cases like that in the past and the artist was getting a tour in in Europe or in Japan, I would go with them because that was fun. But when you get older and you have a family and your balance priorities change, uh, a tour to Japan and being away from your family for three weeks may not be as appealing as it was when you are younger in your career. So I think balance is an ever-evolving kind of concept, and I think maybe that's where the fit situation or the word comes in because it may fit well, At one age, and then you have a different fit that comes up when you're a little bit older or more senior. So I think balance and that life fit concept are ever evolving. And I think that's what kind of scares people. And I also think that, you know, the word balance just has... It just sounds like a simple thing, but it's so complex and so hard to live by it that maybe that's what's scary. Yeah.
0: And I think it's subjective, too. It's like what is balance for one person may not be balanced out for another. You know, like you said, now going to Japan for three weeks would not be be considered balancing out your family time, but maybe for somebody who used to be a super workaholic, that that would be a balance for them to get away for three weeks. Who knows, right? So it's different for everybody. Maybe that's why it's so difficult of a concept for people to to digest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of connects to another concept that I, or principle that I, uh, when I teach my classes, I bring a lot of guest speakers And I tell the students, you know, you can learn from these various individuals and what they have done and what their career path has been or their journey has been, but you don't need to copy them. You know, take bits and pieces of what fits or what resonates with you. So I think the same thing with balance It's like if you see somebody who you think, hey, I just like their lifestyle or I like this about them, how they carry themselves, I like their demeanor, so okay, make a little mental note, and remember that that's kind of something you want to maybe get to at some point, or you want to work on that, or maybe you want to get to know the person better, and see what kind of gets them going, so you can kind of see if that makes sense, so the same thing with my class, is like, you know, get exposure for these things, and various people and their meanings of balance, and then apply what it is right for you, and, and see, if it has to work for you, if you're not happy, if you're not satisfied, if you don't find the passion in your work, then it's something that you'll have to kind of, in a lack of a better word, you have to change the balance of of your own balance.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, you're talking about passion, finding that that connect. What are you most passionate about and and what is the main principle that you live by in your work?
1: Well, there's quite a few principles, but I think the, the main ones for me, I definitely want to make sure that when I handle a matter for a client that I'm really good at it and really can bring to the table a lot of things that they need. So the main thing is to do, to be really an expert and to be really, really good at what you do, whether it's writing some opinion or dealing with some other party about a contract. So you really got to be First and foremost, you got to be great at what you do. Um, Second of all, I think you really need to be a a good communicator. Uh, Mm -hmm. You need to know how to communicate because if you're not going to update the client, well, let me even backtrack. First of all, you have to sit down with the client and see what there is that they want. So you want to make sure that you can really meet their expectations because if somebody has unrealistic expectations and you're just going to take the client and just go for it, you're setting yourself up for a situation and them for, for an unavoidable, unhappy situation that, that's not going to be a positive one. So you want to make sure, first of all, that the client understands and has a, a, a reasonable expectation. Uh, In that, there's a sub principle that I have. I don't like the old fashioned lawyers who would sit there in a pedestal and tell you what to do here, you know, talk to you like, here, son, or here, ma'am, here's what I'm Mr. Lawyer, know it all, I'll tell you what to do. Hey, dummy,
0: just shut up.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I think that those days are over and nobody wants to be talked like that. So the first thing is to really not preach to them and not tell them what to do but actually explain where you're coming from explain explain the law because at the end of the day they are they are hiring you for an expertise so they're not asking you to you know necessarily teach them law or come right. to them as equals on the law but but there's a lot of other things that are beyond the law there's also other people on the other side you're negotiating with there's facts that have happened there's patterns that need to be addressed so they look at you to tell them okay take what happened here Uh, Let's say there's a negotiation for a deal and your client has a product that somebody else wants to use. So you have to tell your client, look, you know, um, this is your first deal ever. You've never sold a product. You're just starting in this business. Uh, So please have an expectation that this is your entryway into the world and don't think that this is the deal that's going to make you the richest person in the world. Mm -hmm. If that's your expectation, then maybe it's going to not be met. Uh, So it's early on, it's good to find out with the clients reasonable, then find out, you know, what the product is, explain to them what legal issues may come up with the negotiation, and then also explain to them who the other side is and how they do business because you've worked with them and you also have some knowledge about this. Let's say it's a one of the networks that wants to buy or use their technology. So you hopefully have a relationship with that network and the people there and you have to tell them that the network probably is going to ask for exclusivity. They're going to want you to give them x amount of time that they're the only ones who can brag about this technology of yours and if you're not willing to do that uh... there might be some problems so really it's understanding the situation uh... communicating really well being an expert on it and coming in from a point of like hey we're together let's have our team here come up with a great deal with the other side so we can kind of make this happen uh, so I think that that's kind of like some of the main principles that mm-hmm. I deal with in my work. Uh, well, I think it, it communication's
0: based. such a big one, though, because and for and you seem to take it to the next level and outside of the normal box of what most people do in their career, because it sounds like you want to build that that you said you use the word team. And so it's like you're teaming up with your client rather than just taking care of the work and not letting them know what's up and then just giving them an update months later kind of thing or keeping them in the dark it sounds like you want to build that trust that relationship and really open that up to make your client feel more comfortable yeah
1: absolutely yeah my clients are almost i have to say like family to me i feel like it's when i take on something I take it very personally to achieve what it is and even exceed their expectations because uh, that's the key to success. If they're super happy... Uh, and then I've never in my life put an ad anywhere. You haven't seen my face on any benches or anything like that or bus stops.
0: <laughs> <I> basically, <laughs> Those my, things don't work. No, they don't uh, Actually, they work. Ellen DeGeneres was making fun of that. I caught her show a couple of weeks ago, and they did a segment. the People who cannot afford to buy a home are sitting on a bench where somebody's advertising that they can sell you one. <laughs>
1: right, exactly, exactly. It, 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 so it's really like it, it's just completely bizarre. misplaced and bizarre. Uh, so my sole business uh, development for my own business is coming from my clients referring their friends and their people who ask them for or who confide in them to to refer them to me. So uh, you also you have to have that kind of happiness so of your client being satisfied and fully dedicated to you as much as you are to them. So I consider them as family and I've had some times where I don't sleep at night because I'm like, oh, you know, I really got to get this done. I really got to get, I'm not happy how this first round went. The other side didn't respond well or mm-hmm. something else. And I I bring in my problem solving expertise because that's the main thing. Another main thing is that I know how to solve problems. I'm practical and I understand the other sides. And by having a wife that's a psychologist, it even helped me more understanding the psychology of people. And because, you know, law is not just black and white. It's not like you won't need lawyers if we're just an algorithm saying, yeah, I have this and you have that. Let's do the deal. There's a lot of Uh, things in between that have to be done and be smoothed over and taken care of and both from a personal and legal issues. uh, So you really got to put all that together. So that goes into the communication. Well, let's talk
0: about that for a second. Mm -hmm. If you have a client who comes to you who's particularly difficult, or they have unrealistic expectations, how do you handle that? Give us an example.
1: The answer to that is actually shorter than you think. If I see somebody that the red flags come up that it's Uh, just very difficult, uh, then I am at the point of my career that I would just say, you know what, I think we're not the right fit. I don't want clients like that. It's not worth my time because somebody like that at some point or another is going to always blame somebody else for the downfalls of things that would happen with them. So my experience of doing this over 20-some years is that if somebody is, Maybe early on when I just started my business, I had no choice and no selection. Whoever came in the door, I had to take them. But those days, luckily for me, are over. So if somebody is raising too many red flags for me and they are just too difficult, I would just in a very polite way uh, not take that
0: client. Okay. Okay. Well, that's an easy way to do it. See you later. Yeah, <laughs> but, just, you can't, but you can't do that with your family. So when you say you live by the same principles that you do in law as you do in your life, how would you handle it if someone in your family was being difficult?
1: Well, I think everybody at some point or another is going to be difficult. Uh, you know, we have a four-year-old and sometimes he can drive me crazy. And <laughs> sometimes he's the coolest guy in the world. So it's like, you know, you, you know that deep, Inside, there's you're the one, you know, if you're the parent, you're giving them the foundation, you're giving them the tools, you're setting up the environment that they live in. Of course, there's other things that come up there's school, there's other kids they're imitating, there's other things depending on what age they're in. Um, so, you just keep beca- staying patient and mm. explain to them why hey, maybe it's not the best idea to jump on your iPad because it would break. You know, it's not... It's so, not the
0: best idea. Not the best idea. <laughs> you
1: know, because they, look, a four-year-old doesn't understand the consequences yet right. you know, as far as like, hey, who paid for it? How much does it cost? They kind of have some basic idea. but So I think with family, you have much more patience, but you also know that at the end of the day, that person and that kid is very good inside. And sometimes everybody who's good has... You have to make mistakes. You have to fail. You have to do things to learn to get better or mm-hmm. else you just uh, are living in a bubble and you're going to have a big disappointing moment at some point if you're just sheltered from everything. Yeah,
0: I like this idea of transferring your skill sets from the work that you do to your family life and from, I mean, some clients probably act like four-year-olds, <laughs> you know, so you're going to need those skills both in the office and at home. And, and I like the fact that you used the word patience. How do you cultivate that if you're not naturally wired that way?
1: Well, I think that's kind of the part of the psychology that comes in, and then I have to kind of channel in my, my, my wife's kind of seeing how she handles her work and, and people and advising them. So I, I think patience is, is, is something you can control. It's something that you have to work on yourself. If you find yourself that you're a highly strung person who's just reactive, uh, and just really quick things really uh, throw you off balance again, going back to balance, then you need to, over time, you work on it. Look, I think when I was in my 20s and uh, probably early 30s, I probably had a lot less patience. I think yeah. some things happen naturally as, as you become a parent. I think you learn mm. to become more patient.
0: That's uh, what they say. They say yeah. yeah, they say kids just kind of ground you.
1: They certainly ground you, and they certainly change your priorities in life. Uh, so I think getting older... Also, I think as you become uh, more experienced and more seasoned in what you do, then you kind of, I don't want to put people in like boxes, but you start to see certain character, characteristics of people and you just already know where it's going. You know, you already know, so you kind of have that uh, attitude where you don't need to react because if you know if somebody's throwing a tantrum, mm. is because, okay, they need to blow up some steam. And or they have
0: something to prove.
1: Or they have something to prove, but the main thing is, as long as you don't take it personally, you realize it's not about you, it's something that they're going through, they have to do this, you let them do it. Because if you engage in that, and you get into like a a pissing match, that's not going to help anything. So really, you have to, I usually, 99% of the time, am able to take the high road, and uh, whether it's negotiation with somebody who's unreasonable that's not necessarily my client or dealing with um anybody who is unreasonable any facet, you kind of just you just let them act their way you learn how what what it is about them, and then you wait for the better moment to have a negotiation and discussion about it, and you just kind of do that, but don't let it take you you know you don't know, you don't want to be reactive to that because yeah. what's that going to do it's not going to help anything
0: right it's going to make it worse in most cases absolutely <clears throat> what's another principle that you live by that you find is a nice tie between the work that you do with your clients as well as the relationships that you have at home
1: i think it goes there's another one that i really really like there's a a very cool guy that I've read his books, and I like to listen to his podcast. He's a guest. I don't think he has his own podcast, but his name is Derek Sivers, and he had this company, a CD Baby, that mm-hmm. he started and eventually sold it. Yep. Um, and he tells this story about him uh, when he lived in L.A., and he he would take his bike ride from Santa Monica down to the South Bay and back, and he would go really hard. And everybody on the bike path would piss him off because he would just be like, I'm so focused on this bike ride. I want to just, and he would be sweating and red. And, and just like he was just describing this bike ride. And it would take 40, 42 minutes to go from one way back to his, and then he wouldn't do the, he wouldn't, he, at some point it got him so wound up that he couldn't stand the bike ride, that he didn't do it for quite some time. And then he went back and he said, you know what, I'm just going to do it today without getting, uh, so, uh, I, crazy about doing this fast, and, and he was just, he was watching the waves, suddenly he realized he's right next to the ocean, look how beautiful the ocean is, suddenly he realized other people were saying hi to him when he was riding the bike, so it was a much better and much more exciting and, and full experience mm. of soaking in the gratefulness and being happy with this possibility that you're riding a bike in the middle of the day in Santa mm-hmm. Monica, and he realized that when he did the whole round trip, it literally took him forty-five minutes. For it was just three minutes wow. more, and then one experience was so miserable he couldn't do it anymore, and the other one was so positive. So again, I think this goes back to my belief of like you got to enjoy the moments because I think we're all so busy with like okay, achieve this now. I need what's the next on the list? What's uh, mm-hmm. the next? So I think really to be able to stop for a second and really enjoy. What it is, you either you achieve something at work or you achieve something personally. You want to make sure that you just kind of stop for a second and give yourself some, you know, give yourself some kudos for that, and then yeah. enjoy it and savor it. So yeah. I think that that's another principle that I'm trying to uh, adapt all the time, and yeah. I use it with my kids and, and tell them this story.
0: That's such a great story. I love that one. Because I think right now the culture is such that everyone's talking about entrepreneurship, building your business, building your future, so that you can later on enjoy all of those things, the yacht, (laughs) all of that kind of stuff. And so this is really interesting to me that you're trying to do it, or through Derek's experience, like do it as you go along. You don't, you don't have to just chase the money first and then enjoy it later. You can do both.
1: Exactly, exactly, because you know what, sometimes, look, at the end of the day, not all of us are going to be multimillionaires or billionaires, but it's a, but we all live, we all live our life, and we all have, as far as I know, one time to live it, you know, I, you yeah. know I'm not going to get into the metaphysical right now, but basically, so you're here, and it's up to you to enjoy your day, day in and day out, and if you're only going to mark it up by saying, Why oh, i got to make X amount of dollars to be happy, uh, you're going to lose out on a lot of stuff along the way that you could have enjoyed. So exactly mm-hmm. what you said. I, I'd like to, you know, uh, and that kind of goes back to my initial discussion about balance. Is I rather, you know, can I work X more hours a day and make more money? Yes, but I rather not work those extra hours, and I rather be at home with my kids and be there as opposed to, and, and really how much of a difference is it going to make if you're making good money and you're happy then just be happy with that and you don't need to keep chasing and you know and another thing going back to Derek Silver, is he when he had City Baby people came to him and said we want to buy it we want to maximize profits we want to hire Uh, I know thousands of more people want to make this like, you know, the next Amazon, you know, and he was like, I don't want that. I want to have, I'm just happy with what I have. I'm happy that we have 80 people working here. Everybody's happy. And my thing is not maximizing profit. My thing is to make sure that the clients, our users are happy. So same thing with me. I want to make sure my users are happy and I'm not looking to, you know, nickel and dime them and charge them for every minute Mm -hmm. that I talk to them for, you know, billable time and um, all that stuff. So I think, that's where people resonate to today is the fact that they get great service yeah. and it's not that they're on the clock when it comes to a lawyer and it's not that this person's just gonna i mean I've i've heard i mean horrendous stories of, of, of people who you know we met with the lawyer for like five minutes and, and another lawyer walked in and said hi how are you and then suddenly they got a bill for the other lawyer who came in just to show oh, him gosh. Him. So, i mean it's just kind of crazy sometimes yeah. well yeah
0: i mean that's why lawyers get a bad rap Mm-hmm. You know, so and that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to have you on the program, <laughs> too, is to show people that, hey, there are like really good lawyers out there, like good people, lawyers. They're not all going to try to stiff you. They actually care about you.
1: And I think it's that's really one part. Good people. But they're also great at what they do. It's not that you're getting somebody who's good, but then they're like, ah, I'll take them because they're oh, they're nice people, but they're average at their at their work. You know, they're they're still just as good as anybody else, but they're just not. There to nickel and dime you and they're not all about money. They want to make sure you're happy. They want to understand your business. Me, myself, as having my own business and investing in businesses, I understand other, if my client has a business, I understand where they're coming from, because I've been in their situation, and I want, and so it's much, it's much easier for me to find their legal solutions, because mm-hmm. I know I lived and breathed what they're going through. So it gives me the experience to really
0: address what it is that they Totally. Want. Yep. You were the DJ traveling back and forth to London with your backpack. That was me. <laughs> you Absolutely. get it. You get it. I like that. I like people who have been in the trenches and haven't just been handed the, the silver spoon and don't really understand what it takes. So that's very cool to me. Plus, I want you to share something that you told me when we spoke offline and I found really interesting. You, One of your uh, points of expertise is creating contracts. And so tell us a little bit about the how you marry the creative side of yourself with creating contracts for people.
1: Of course. I'll be happy to uh, highlight that. So one of the main things that I found besides the sometimes people find the attitude of lawyers is that lawyers create these contracts that are unreadable full of legalese notwithstanding regarding this not that it's like a zillion words to say one thing so one of the main things when i started was i'm going to take contracts that uh whether it's a management contract whether it's a a deal between two companies i'm going to use it i'm going to use plain english that actually anybody can read and anybody can understand but it doesn't hurt the client. It's not like you're missing any protections. It's not like you any sort of clauses are not in there. It's just you can read it, and you can actually say, oh, I know what's written here. Yeah,
0: I know what so, this means. <laughs> I know what this means. So yeah.
1: I've used it. I've, that was my first policy, and until today, I, I take contracts. Somebody would send me a boilerplate contract that's like 40 pages for something that can be 5 or mm. 10, and I just cut it down, come back to them. Uh, and and create my version of it, and most of the time it works. It works to a point that you know. I think the story I told you is that one time I was negotiating a contract with one of the big firms in town, a boutique firm that represents some A-level talent, and they sent me a contract for that talent with my client that had um, a product that this talent was going to use, and I'm looking at this contract, and the lawyer is telling me, yeah, this is kind of a short version, but it's easy. And I said, "Yeah, I know that is my i i drafted this agreement."
0: <laughs> somebody stole your contract. Well, yeah,
1: that lawyer somehow or another, probably somebody at that firm uh, took that form, liked it, and these firms all share all the forms. So mm-hmm. the, the lawyer found it, liked it, sent it to me, and tried to tell me why it's so why it's the best thing since sliced bread. And I told him, "Yeah, I'm a, <laughs> I wrote which, it." I, I appreciate the compliment, but uh, you know so. <laughs> It was kind of a funny thing. That's
0: hilarious. I mean, it's a compliment, but it's probably also irritating. Like, I've thought about that a few times, you know, sending my guest release out. And I'm like, I bet you somebody's going to swipe this, you know, and just like think that it's awesome and use it.
1: You know, it's kind of funny you say that because I know that happens so many times because I'll have a lawyer on the other side tell me. Because what we usually do in order to try to protect it in a certain way, although it's not nothing in this digital age can be protected but you used to send a PDF version as opposed to a Word document because the PDF is supposedly not uh, you can't uh, modify it, yeah. edit it. So I would send a PDF to a lawyer, and then I know, or you know, they'll call me back or email me. It's like, hey, can you send me a Word version of this? Because basically, what they're trying to nah. say, is, I want to steal your contract. You yeah,
0: know? and you're <laughs> so- like, why? <laughs> Let's talk about this. Let's use our communication principles <laughs> yeah, exactly. to work this out. I, you know, before we close, I would love for you to share with you know any guys out there listening who have. Wanted so badly to settle down. Maybe they're just making that transition now, or maybe it's further down the line for them What's the biggest piece of advice for someone who really longs to have a family, but doesn't really know how they're gonna possibly balance that with their career aspirations?
1: There's no one answer. Obviously, everybody's gonna do something else. So I'll try to kind of give some kind of broad strokes and uh and, and what worked for me, again, that there's something that somebody listening can take bits and pieces and say, yeah, that, I like that or that. No, no that's not hmm. for me. Uh, so I think f- what really was important to me is, of course, you start with the fact that you meet somebody that you fall in love with and you want to spend time with, you know, because I know a lot of people who don't want to spend time with their spouse. So it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's all I got. It's with- true. So it's about priorities. It's about what is it that you want, you know, so what works for you. So if you're, if you tend to be somebody who, um, want to start a family and let's say you're in your late twenties or early thirties, um, then,
0: or if you live in LA, most people don't get started until their (laughs) forties,
1: which is fine. Yeah. I think, you know, I spoke to somebody the other day, I think, you know, the more you know about yourself, and the more you worked about yourself, and and through life, then I think you're more prepared to be with somebody else. I think that's a great thing that that people wait. Uh, you know, there's again to each their own. Well, how long you want to wait, and how long you want to uh, to get into it. But I certainly think that you know the 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 days of getting eight married in, in your teenage years or early 20s it's probably oh, not it yeah. certainly wouldn't have worked for me I, I think I was I, I certainly wasn't ready to get married at the age of you know early 20s mid any of my right. 20s right so uh again that's what but there's probably some very mature 24 year old listening to this right now who maybe is about to propose and I don't want to hold them back because it's like yeah you might be ready so I don't sure. want to be, so everybody's different yeah but for me I think it was you get to a certain stature in your career that you can now have some options you can have some choices you 're no longer just a junior person so that so some things have to happen in your life uh, regardless of finding the right person to be with them uh, professionally that you 're in a position that you know whatever financial and um, time wise that you have that opportunity so hopefully that 's the case, and you then find that person. And then you start, and then you have kids, and I think there's really, I can't say that anybody took me aside and said, look, this is what you need to do, this is how you become a parent, this is how you shift from being a single guy to being married to being a parent. parent. Which is
0: a big shift.
1: It's a huge shift. And I think I listened to your guest just uh, last week who said, you know, how to be a better man and and, and that. And, you know, so he had some great pointers about, you know, I think about what you asked me about how to do that. And that might be a better podcast to listen for more deeper advice on that and how to be, you know, from the man's side. Because what I'm talking could be uh, equaled for men or women as far as when you get to a certain stature that you're ready and you're ready to settle and then I think things happen and I think you just, what you are really now that you're kind of, that question is kind of seeping in, I, I think the real thing is that you hopefully by then have developed enough internal foundation and internal understanding of yourself that you'll know how to make the right decision. So when you, you kind of, you will know, okay, I need to change job because this job isn't understanding me as a, as a dad that wants to now dedicate more time to my kids they're not allowing me this. So this might not be the place for me. Or this place is. So I think you'll have to kind of take all the stuff that you learned that got you to this, this point and just start listening to your inner voice or whatever you want to call it, you know, consciousness, and, and just and go with those what, what comes up. I think that there's a, there's a lot of stuff. My wife always reminds me that when we just got married, I, and I was in my early 30s and she was in her mid-20s, that... um but she was a very mature mid-20s. Again, that's why I have to kind of emphasize that I, I think she was ready.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, um, and women tend to mature faster, I yeah. think.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I think that, that's it. But she always reminds me that I told her, we kind of sat there and said, hey, what's our wish list? What would you want to be doing in, in five or ten years? And I told her, you know, I'd love to teach. Uh, maybe I need to go back and get like a PhD to teach. And I'd love to have my own business. At the time, I was working for a big law firm. I wasn't teaching. And all these things happened. Uh, they just happened. I had Boston University reached out to me. I didn't have to go back to school. They said, look, we have, a, we have a Los Angeles program. We would love for you to teach. Boom. Wow. Teaching off the list.
0: I think just saying it, putting out the energy into the universe, then it came back.
1: You know, if you sit down and really make a list, you know, we just walk away from the daily routines, the daily grind that you have and make, yeah. you know, time to have these kind of bigger picture lists. You'll be surprised at how much of them really come through. Uh, you just have to kind of really put it out there because then you kind of focus on it and put your mm-hmm. you know, hope and aspirations to go there. And, and these things, too, you know, I, I hate to sound like some sort of a preaching guy, but it just seems it worked for me. And I hear more and more of people that it worked for them as yeah. far as having these kind of bigger goals and, and putting them in writing.
0: I love that. And it sounds like you and your wife are a powerhouse couple. You've got the law side. She's got the psychology side. What a combo.
1: Yeah, I couldn't, uh, I'm i super excited. I mean, you know, talking about, again, things that are not necessarily a legal discussion, but more of a practical about life. Like, there's a lot of people, especially what we just spoke about. Like, if you're, if you're young and you marry young, most likely, you haven't learned about yourself enough, and then you might have to grow apart. You you and your wife yes. might end up growing apart because you both are now discovering how different you are. <laughs> My wife and I luckily have become better and stronger and more connected than before, and it continues to grow, and... and I think what people don't tell you when you meet somebody or when you get married to somebody is how much work there is into it. You know, you think that it's like, oh, we have this chemistry, we're great with each other. That's just for the beginning. But yes. if you're going to be with somebody for like 5, 10, 20, 30, the rest of your life, there is so much work to continue to fine tune and work together because everybody brings their own things from the past, even though you have a decent past or whatever it is. Oh, if yes. It, you, you have, you carry so many other things and, and to be able to, so my wife and I certainly have been very fortunate to be able to grow closer and we've been together for 17 years, married Wow, 15.
0: that's awesome.
1: Uh, yeah, and I feel like closer than before, but it's a lot of work.
0: It's like a contract you have to draft your agreements along the way.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And it's uh, hopefully you hope that the agreement is uh, not in the legalese. It's not a uh, it's not a very difficult <laughs> right. one to read. Right.
0: Well, I love this. I love all of your principles. And I love what you just said. And I just want to underscore it for the listeners out there. Get to that point where you're really taking a look at yourself become self aware. What are you passionate about? How are you communicating with your clients and with your relationships in your personal life? What do you want for yourself in your life. Ben, you're inspiring. Any final thoughts about principles to live by in law and in life for our listeners out there?
1: Yeah, I think we all read about like self help or things you want to do. And hey, this if I do this, it will work out. But I think what people forget is that you may read a 1000 different things to give you advice, but it's really you have to build habits. It has to become part of you. And I think some of your previous guests have mentioned it, and I've heard it more and more, and I work, I see it firsthand. So, for example, eating healthy. You can read books about diet, but that's not going to be your diet. You may feel like you've done something, but you haven't done anything until you implemented that, and it really becomes part of your life, whether it's like cutting certain foods out, or not eating after a certain time, or exercising at a certain time and dedicated to that exercise on a continuous basis. So you need to build good habits, whether it's for work, for eating, for family, and those habits just become part of you. It's you, you do them automatically, and that's, that's how change happens. You don't do it by talking about it, you don't do it <laughs> by reading about it.
0: Yes. Indeed. I love that when people just like they yap about it. They're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But then they don't actually do anything about it. So putting it into action.
1: Absolutely. It's action, but almost in repetitive action. And it just becomes just as much as breathing. You know that on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, you go to do this exercise class. This is part of your routine. This hmm. is your or on Every day after seven thirty, you're not gonna eat. Don't eat after seven thirty because it's not good for you. Or don't drink something that doesn't work for you. Whatever it is, but you gotta implement that. And it becomes part of you, and it's not just something you read or somebody told you about it or something you talk about. It right. has to be something you are, like you said, act on. So um, that's however you want to edit that in, if you want to at all. Heck but yes. I, I just thought about that because it's just – and I think I, – I try to find the link, but I think that I saw somewhere a book that says, you know, how to, how to create good habits because that's really the key to, to successful living is to be able to have those – healthy habits, because you can also very easily de- develop very bad habits. And, they're,
0: <laughs>
1: and yes. they're just habits as anything else. If you repeat those, Indeed. it's not going to work.
0: Like the sweet potato fries that I had a bit too many of over the holidays.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, you got to do it. Sometimes you got to enjoy the sweet potato fries, or else oh, you don't know how how good they are. And yeah. then you go back to your yeah. other uh, habits of eating the, uh, I guess, yeah. the, uh, I don't know, whatever, the diet or the non the, the the lettuce you can't
0: just eat lettuce. <laughs> the lettuce. All. Yeah, the sweet potato fries are my kryptonite, and um, I've been off of them now and have successfully dropped ten pounds. So <laughs> now Excellent. I just have one, and I enjoy it immensely. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Yeah, good habits. Good habits, everybody. Ben, you are awesome. And again, I really appreciate your time and sharing your wisdom with the audience and everybody out there listening. Please go to Ben's website, LaskyLaw.com. Did you design that one too, Ben?
1: Uh, no, I have a very good friend of mine who designed that. I Luckily, I I, I stopped designing website after that Alice and Chains website. That was the, the first and last website ever designed by me personally.
0: Got it. But a good one, indeed. So if you need business consulting um, or any kind of entertainment law services, please reach out to Ben at LaskyLaw.com. I'll provide the link in the show notes. Ben, thank you again.
1: Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I really appreciate the time and thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Have a great day.
0: Have a great topic you'd like to hear discussed on an upcoming episode of Nothing Off Limits? Email us at ideas at LadyFoxEntertainment.com. In the meantime, please subscribe, rate the show, and go to LadyFoxEntertainment.com to sign up for our email list and to check out our resources page. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time.